The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Blethered, and my guest is Gam Talk founder Paul Pettigrew. GamTalk is an initiative that exists to provide information and support to people whose lives are being negatively impacted by compulsive gambling and was founded by Paul in the wake of his own gambling addiction that saw him attempt to take his own life due to the obvious stress that such an affliction would bring. We discuss how Paul first started gambling and the impact it very quickly had on his life and relationships. Paul explains his lowest point of an attempted suicide and how he then started to take decisive action to turn things around. And we talk about Gam Talk and the aims of the project, including advice on how to regain control when gambling starts to take over your life. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, feel free to share it or to leave a review because it always helps. Cheers. Paul, thanks for coming in, mate. Um, I suppose just to get right into it, like I do with everybody, we'll have a wee bit of chat about just your life growing up, just to get an idea of who you are. Obviously, a normal guy doing quite a, an extraordinary thing, talking about such a, a powerful and, and important subject. Uh, is it Greenock you're, you're comfy? Port Glasgow. Port Glasgow. Aye. Um, and, and just life, sort of family life and all that kind of thing, give me a wee idea. Aye, so pretty normal background. I think my dad owned a small business. Uh, my mum works in a hospital. Um, I've got two older brothers, my wee sister. Uh, in terms of growing up, my older brother, he always had a problem with drugs and alcohol in my life. Uh, so that was quite difficult being young. Um, it was my first kind of insight into addiction, although you don't understand, obviously, when you're younger. Mm. Other than that, um, my... My family life was good. I've had the same group of pals my whole life. Uh, I loved my time in school and football was always my whole life mm-hmm. uh, when I was younger. So I was never that good at it, I thought, to be honest. But uh, I worked hard. I was always... I very early on realised that I would need to make up for my lack of ability with hard work. So mm-hmm. I'd be like running before school every morning from like 13 onwards. I'd made a decision that I wouldn't drink. Um, and uh, it was all kind of... Jason trying to be a professional footballer like most boys do. Mm-hmm. How far did you get? Uh, well, in, when I look back now, behind sight, I think for my ability, I did all right. I played with Kilmarnock youth team, Partick Thistle, Dumbarton, then I ended up at Morton. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at Morton when I was 16, 17. Uh, I was in the reserves with the current manager now, David Hopkins. Right, okay. He was the reserve manager at the time. Um, he really liked me, Hoppy. So I did all right, and mm-hmm. then usual old story, I injured it for a wee while, and then um, when it came time to get full-time contracts, I was going down in the car, and I was never arrogant or nothing, but I was, me and my dad were kind of wondering if I'd get a year or maybe two years, hoping for the two years, obviously, to get a bit more time to impress, and it was just bumped. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of boys in my team got contracts that didn't play half as much as I did, and... 
So that's the only time in my life that I would say it. Other times later on, down to Kilmarnock, I get uh, released and I just wasn't good enough for that level. The boys were better, I can take that in the gym. But mm-hmm. at the time at Morton, that was a saurine. Uh, I thought I deserved a bit better. Aye. Just for hearing that, the, my first, my most initial impression is, and I'd already had this impression, was that you're very honest in your self-assessment, which we'll sort of come to and we'll, we'll probably discuss in a bit of detail because I think that totally ties in with the sort of things that you're doing now, the initiatives that you're setting up. Mm-hmm. But also the... Uh, I also want to talk about the... What's what's the word? Self-discipline, self-motivation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Because, and like, I've watched videos you put up and talking about setting yourself challenges and, and setting right. yourself a sort of a goal or whatever. And just hearing you describe that way, giving up for uh, pledging not to drink mm-hmm. or, or out running or, or uh, giving that extra hard work, that to me is very apparent and obvious and just your general demeanour mm-hmm. and, and how you how you kind of go about things. So we'll, we'll come into that because that, I don't know if that, do you think that's like, is that just an instinctive innate quality in you? Because at 13, I think that would need to be, or whatever age you are. It's something that, to be honest, I, I do have a wee bit of pride in myself for, because like most areas in Scotland, everybody starts drinking young. Mm. Um, all my pals, and I mean every one of them, were drinking. And so every house you go to, every weekend, every time you're out, you're knocking back drink. Mm-hmm. And you get a wee bit, I mean, nothing serious, but you get a wee bit of abuse for it for not drinking. But it got to the stage where people actually then kind of maybe had a wee bit of respect and thought, no, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He doesn't drink. I think in terms of like self-discipline, setting goals and stuff, my they won't mind me saying, but uh, my dad's business, he owned a petrol station, um, and then it ended up it was really badly struggling. They held on to it, just basically their teeth for years. So I, I understand how much uh, financial stress that put on my whole family, mm-hmm. and it's difficult to see when you're only you're only like twelve, thirteen. You can't make good amounts of money to go and help them but I from a very early age I had it in my head that I was going to like make enough money let them retire um, probably similar to a lot of people's mm-hmm. aspirations to take care of their mum and dad and get them out of a situation that they were in whether that been I didn't really know if it was through football but football or doing something on my own uh, but I had that from a young age kind of instilled in me mm-hmm. Do you think for a lot of people the, um, the sort of 4am to gambling in any sense, often is seen as a very quick way to elevate yourself financially to make things a bit easier. Was that was that ever in your thinking, or was it different? It wasn't a premeditated thought from when I was younger. I knew nothing about gambling, and that's the God's honest truth. Knew mm. nothing about it. Um, nobody in my family gambles at all, so it was very much a case of my pal asked me to go to the casino one night. I knew nothing about it. I just went because I did any kind of social event. Mm-hmm. We went, but then the first time I went, I won a good bit of money. Uh, went in with a hundred, left with a thousand. I was only yeah. only eighteen. It was the first time I'd ever held a thousand pound in my life. <laughs> I was minted. What were you playing to win that? Right. Fuck's sake! Aye. That talk, right? Oh, sorry, to interrupt. Right, but I wanted to do a comparison. So mm-hmm. you've walked. Is that the first time you'd ever first done it? time ever gambled? So you've walked in with a grand. Now at that time, at the age of eighteen, your mind is impressionable, and you're still completely now adapting to the adult world around you. And you're having that experience in your brain. Then, apart, from, you're holding the money, uh, but you're also having this mega dopamine hit, mm-hmm. and you're thinking. You know, serotonin is absolutely flying through your brain, and you're like, "What am I spending this grand on?" And then you go away, and what's cemented in your mind is 
that's the easiest thing in the world. Mm. When I was 18, I remember the first time, so I think when I was like 17, I used to go into the bookies sometimes with my pal. Aye. And he taught me a trick. He says, put a pound in the roulette machine, pick zero, two, five, eight, and 11. And more often than not, the machine looks at the stake you've put in. It sees that you're a wee bit pensive mm. or you're a wee bit sort of holding back. And more often than not, it'll give you the seven pound 20 back because yeah. that's the way of hooking you. Mm -hmm. So we would go in, stick your pound in, get the seven twenty nine times out of 10 <laughs> and then go to like Subway. But I was, I was just kind of satisfied <laughs> with that. But I remember at 18 and I had a break for college in town and uh, I went into the Ladbrokes that is on the bottom of Renfield Street, just before you get to Gordon Street. And I put a tenner in thinking, this is easy, I'll turn this into like 80 quid mm -hmm. and I lost it. And I put another 10 in because I was like, fuck, I need to get that back. And then eventually I'd lost 30 quid. Now, 30 quid is still a, a decent amount of money. Of course it is. But it's not the end of the world if you lose it. In most cases. Um, but I remember being like, what the fuck have I done? Mm -hmm. And I was, I actually, oh, the feeling was horrible. <laughs> and I think that cemented me. I was like, I am never fucking getting near that ever again. Because <laughs> I don't want to feel that way. And it just shows you that in that early introduction point, like mm -hmm. how, uh, you know, what that could possibly, do you know what I mean? Like by I, that. I, and I always say, I think to tie in with your point, if I'd walked in that night with my hundred pound, uh, if I'd lost that, that night, I'd have never gambled again. Mm. I'd have walked in it. I'd have had to go home, not went out that weekend, uh, and I don't even know when I'd have got 100 quid again, and I'd have been raging. I'd have never done it again, 100%. So for then on, was it was it more of a frequent thing? Was it just, oh, yeah, sudden, this is something I do, or was it kind of over time? No, it was completely right away. I loved it. Uh, I loved the thrill of gambling as well. I was always, when I was younger, I was always a bit of a show off in school and that. I've always had that about me. I was, mm. In terms of, I like to be in the centre of attention, getting like kicked out, just having a laugh, things mm -hmm. like that. Uh, a bit embarrassing to admit, but uh, that kind of was a part of my personality. So I went in that night and my pals were putting on like pound bets and I put £100 on red. For not, I didn't even know what I'd get back, honestly, just for a kind of, to be a show off and people looking at me and thinking I was nuts. Uh, and that's what then, like, if you win at £200 over £2, it's a massive difference mm. in feeling. So right away, people will always, like, build up their stakes. If Aye. they end up a problem, it, maybe a pound turns into a tenner, into a hundred, I'd started off big. I couldn't go back, didn't I? Like, putting a fiver on a bet or stuff. So we were going the next week, and they were all taking £20, and I was taking £200. I was still winning for mm. the first kind of month, uh, but it, was, it wasn't even about the winning, it was just a feeling. It coincided, I uh, said about being released by Morton. Mm -hmm. Scunnered with football, absolutely hated it. Didn't want anything to do with it at all. I'd been offered like exit trials at different places and I didn't go. Um, so this just completely replaced the void that was in my life left by football. Mm -hmm. Winning like a big amount of money, that's the only way I could describe. Like compare a feeling, it's like scoring a last minute goal at mm -hmm. football, that rush you get. But then you're getting that every kind of minute. Do you know what I mean? Every time Aye. the ball spins again. So... So I'm really interested in that because I, I remember, I've spoken about this before, I watched a Luther Road documentary um, where he's, he's with gamblers in Las Vegas and this guy's like 150 grand up, let's oh, say. I've seen that. But then he ends up losing mm -hmm. all sorts and then Louis's like, why did you not just walk away? And the guy's like, what you don't understand is the, the end goal or, or the, the thing I'm chasing is not 
the money being slid towards me. I'm paraphrasing there, but it's like Aye. not the money being slid towards me, the winnings. It's the moment that the ball spins. He mm. went, that's the thrill. Aye. And how dangerous is that? Because then you're never like you can you can rinse yourself. You can you can mm. spend everything to keep chasing that high. Aye. So is that how one of the things that sort of hooked you? That feeling of the actual spin and the, the sort Aye. of tension. I, I say to people, and I think people think I'm lying, but there was no amount of money when it got to a point where it was online. There was no amount of money that I would have withdrew. I didn't make a withdrawal the last two years. I was gambling and I had won some serious amounts of money. Mm. There was no amount that I would have withdrew because it wasn't about the money. It was it was just about constantly playing. Mm -hmm. So if I was to try, like, can I put it into context for you? I would get to, just for an easy number, I would get to a £1,000, which I would then say, right, I'm going to keep. But then I would gamble, like, another £50 to try to get a 1050 mm -hmm. Then that 50 would then be the money if I won it to like continue playing and doing what I want as if right. I was almost my change. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a weird, weird way of looking at money. But money just became gambling tokens to me. That's all mm. it ever became. Uh, High reality starts to change. What about in terms of, did you keep going on a winning streak or was there times when you're losing and then did you see your behaviours change or your demeanour? Do you mean it to start? I well, I mean, I just kind of gradually because obviously you kind of keep winning all the time. Aye. Or or did you? No. So there was about a month where I'd won about about four and a half thousand pounds within my first month of gambling. Honestly, and, uh, I was able to like, as I said, I'm not saying this stuff like, oh, I was all doing it for my family. It wasn't like that at all. But I was able to help them out a bit. Mm -hmm. Bought myself a watch. Bought myself clothes, and I had a bit of money for Aye. being eighteen. So it felt obviously good. Mm -hmm. uh, but that lured me into the false pretenses that gambling was a way of making money which of course it ain't mm -hmm. at all so then when the losing starts I think I have this in my head that I'm good at it yeah and uh, and the winning will come back eventually and that's just where I went right downhill uh, I'd spent all the money that I'd won then I was spending wages it turns into borrowing money from people banks payday loans and that all happens people think I'm talking over maybe a laugh, three or four year period that um, that I had four and a half thousand pound up from that first month of gambling when I was eighteen. By my nineteenth birthday, I was in thousands of debt. It just happens right away. It's like we we were just saying kind of off air as well, weren't we? That um, if somebody's taking drugs or they're drinking, or even if it's something like food addiction or, or anything like that, mm -hmm. there's only so far you can go before you either show physical signs Aye. or your body just gives in and literally just either packs in and you die or you pass it, whereas with gambling, it can be gone in what in a matter of seconds nah, yeah, if can. you're chasing that high. I saying there's no physical signs which has like two negatives in the sense that you can hide it for so long, which is why it's a secret addiction right. almost, it's invisible. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also, there's kind of no end. If you've got an, whatever amount of money you've got in the bank, you can just burn through it. Mm -hmm. That used to terrify me. It's only just in about the last kind of year that I've, being able to keep money in my own bank account, mm -hmm. which again is a bit embarrassing to admit. I'm 24, but it's, I used to have to have like my mum look after my account. Even after I'd stopped gambling for a while, I still wasn't comfortable with having that money in my account at all. Uh, what what uh, I really like about you is like immediately as a person is how self-aware you're mm -hmm. by saying, "Oh, that's embarrassing." And I understand why you're saying that, but I actually think it's the opposite. I think it's really admirable, one, to be able to do that. Because even when I was a wee guy, like, my mum might be listening to this, and it was it's never, like, anything pure serious, but I would, like, just burn through cash, like, 
buying, getting, buying clothes or doing silly things or holidays or nights out and all that mm. kind of thing. And my mum would, and I knew I had a, just a compulsion of just like, being a wee guy, yeah, just yeah. to live a good life. But I knew, and my auntie always said as well, if there's money in your pocket, it burns a hole, <laughs> you need to get rid of it. <laughs> and they would say, let me uh, look, let me look after your money and I'll and just help you. And I'd be yeah, like, no, yeah. no way, like, no way. Totally obstinate and belligerent. And yeah, actually, yeah. I think that is looking back, like, that's embarrassing. So I would have liked <laughs> to have been more like you at that point because I'd have probably avoided so many daft, like, needless, on the surface, harmless, like, problems. Yeah. But um, stuff that it's like, I, it took me, it took me um, ages to get past that point as well. But for you to be able to say, um, like to to have them to, to give that help. Uh, there was something I was going to ask, and because I told that story, I can now kind of remember what I was going to say. See, in terms of that though, the money—if I can just say something like you imagine, like, but how many people go through that? Young people they don't know how to spend money. What do you get taught in school? A useless stuff that you get taught in school, and you don't get anything on money management. That's a wee bit off subject, right? But no, it's completely on on subject. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's mental. Like yeah, I was speaking to one of my old high school teachers before when I just when I've started this, and she messaged me a couple of weeks ago. And it was really nice to hear from her again. And uh, she said, like, of all the of all the things that we get told to teach throughout a calendar year, uh, like nothing. <laughs> knitting and how you make food and stuff and uh, they're like obviously a spice rack for your alky-tecky <laughs> that. and you're not told about gambling and money management and stuff like that but um, I, know, I, I totally agree I think people the education authorities would probably then make the counter argument that um, oh that sort of thing should be taught at home or that should be thing but I, I would say well yeah I of course it should but also if you are m- moulding young people and young adults and you've got them five days a week six or seven hours a day whatever it is then it would probably be beneficial for the whole of society if you maybe <laughs> look at some of these more practical hands-on things because you see it all the time it's, it's even it's like a bit of a um a tweet template every few months you'll see somebody saying oh why do they teach us pythagoras not as piss you should be teaching us about taxes and thing mate and well you're like oh, mate i've fucking seen that a hundred <laughs> times the, the the premise still is very much like very relevant and it's true they should be teaching you that sort of thing um let's talk about the whole payday loan thing and all that if, if you don't mind because it's something I'd, I'd like to ask about so Take it, you, you're four and a half grand up, that money's spent on mm. material things. You're thinking, oh, this money will just keep coming in. I'll just right. just walk into the bookies and it's almost like charging them a wage. Right. So that doesn't happen. You start losing. Do you then try and think, well, I need to get back to this benchmark or I need to reverse the losses, I'm sorry, recuperate the losses or I need to I recuperate what, what you've put in? Like how does that so happen? I think it, what happened was it got to the point where the addiction was forming and it was starting to get, it was starting to kind of move in on my brain and it was settling in on my brain. Then while I'm burning through the money, it got to the point where everybody hits a zero and you've got no money left in the bank. Yeah. Then that's when I should have stopped obviously but the addiction was then burning inside my head so then it led to right well I need to get money so it started off overdrafts from the bank mm-hmm. um, I got a two and a half thousand overdraft from the RBS at 18 when it was apparent that for the last eight months every single penny that was going in my bank was being gambled mm-hmm. I that's don't understand that at all I, that should be 
that that's a thing we want because if if we look at that for all aspects, you would think from a human aspect or even from business sense on their part, they would mm-hmm. look at that and say, hmm, this is high risk and actually is is probably very detrimental to this person's Definitely. well-being. No. Banks obviously don't give a shit about that, no. as we've seen. But even from their business standpoint, because... Oh, I suppose somebody would probably argue and say no, because then they've got you hooked for about 20 years because yeah. you need to stay part of their, their financial organisation. So, um, so I went from a, a, from a bank borrowing money, then borrowing money from people. Uh, so like my pals and my family and stuff. Uh, and I was getting like SAS at the time from uni. Yeah. The first time I ever went, what's going on here like we gambling the first time I ever really thought it got out of control was I got my SARS payment through I think it was like £650 and it came through and I remember waiting up at night until it hit my bank and then before the morning had come I'd spent every penny on it and that was I remember that feeling still to this day there's not an awful lot I can specifically remember about the time when I was gambling but that was one of the things where I went something wrong here mm-hmm. man like what's going on how's that just happened so then you have to borrow money to get a uni every day for a month and to eat and stuff. So then when the next payment was going to come in, what should have happened was I should have just structured a bit of a repayment plan. To, I think it was maybe my mum and dad who gave me money to then get a uni. But when that money was coming in, I was thinking, right, I need to double that so that I can give them their money back and get yeah. through a month. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's when it's chasing losses. But it's also, you need to be honest with yourself in the sense that you're just enabling, you're just giving yourself the excuses to gamble. Like, that's all I was doing. I was constantly saying, well, I need to gamble because I need to earn this amount to get right. through a month, when really that's not the worst I looked at at all. Do you just, are you just seeing everything constantly through the prism of gambling then? Right like, this is, this is how I make money. Um, what did you, like, see when you, your mum and dad obviously having to give you money in that, mm-hmm. were they not sort of like, why? Like, where's your SAS money? <clears throat> there is an amount of lies that you can come up with that will be believable for a while. Mm. So I would say that I had to pay for books or for a bit of my course or something up front and they kind of bought into it for a while. Uh, also, as we just touched on earlier, like gambling's an invisible addiction. They didn't yeah. know what was going on. So they didn't have a clue early on. But then they started to switch on the thing wasn't financial that wasn't the reason I switched on it was a complete and utter change in my personality like mm-hmm. I was always outgoing I was happy I was confident enough anyway uh, and then I'd, I was miserable I had a girlfriend at the time and I was spending my time and I don't mean asking any disrespect to her at all but I was just hiding at her house rather than going and facing my mum and dad and letting them see what was going on with me Um, because I used to walk in and my mum will if I walked in the door now she'll know what mood I'm in she'll know if something's up can't hide nothing for Mm -hmm. her try avoid like eye contact where if something's going wrong and that but she still knows Uh, so right away they started to click on and think right what's going on with you Um, and that was when I was about 19 so it had been going on about a year that year that nobody knew what was going on allowed me then to amount masses of debts and just completely kind of ruined my life they didn't know I'd chucked uni they didn't know I wasn't playing football anymore didn't know like I wasn't going to a gym just all parts that made me me when I was younger mm-hmm. um, so that's that's a real danger of the addiction when the change starts to come in you is that either exclusively 
just the compulsion to gamble starting to impact you or is it the mountain financial pressure or is it a combination of both? When I think back to that time, I can still feel it. It was just absolute fear of what is going wrong here. Like, what is happening, man? And I couldn't stop it. Uh, the constant pressure of people texting me and it's people you love it's your family or it's your partner or your friends saying have you got that money last week so i was waking up to got to a point i was waking up every single day every day to two or three texts where's that money where's that money and that's a that's a horrible feeling that also coincided with the fact that i didn't want to gamble anymore but i was waking up in the morning knowing that i was going to do it anyway that makes you not want to leave your bed that's a it's a disgusting mm. way to live your life, man. I saw you talking about that, and I think was there a video on Instagram about saying just you, you. Did you go a point where you tried to just stop, and then there started to be physical symptoms or expressions of that, like withdrawal? Uh, so there was like I would always lose an amount of money or lose important money, and when I say important money, I mean money I would back to somebody at the time. I'd lose that, and I'd say, right, that's me. I'm done. Out of anger. They were two different things. When I then actually, like much later on, when I then like really started to stop, I there was physical signs. Is that what you mean? Like physical aye, signs. Aye. So I was, my mum came in to wake me up one morning because, as I said, my dad owned like a petrol station. It turned into a shop. So yeah. I'd go over and help him in the morning. She came in to wake me up one morning, and I was lying there. The covers were off me. I was shaking. I was like stick thin, and. I was sweating and she said I looked like, genuinely looked like somebody who was coming off a of heroin or mm. real withdrawal symptoms um, and my mind was all over the place at that time. Again, I don't mind admitting I, I wouldn't done any doctors at that time, I know we'll go back, but I wouldn't done any doctors at that time and they were saying like, you can't just stop now, like cold turkeys, you know what I mean, you need to be weaned off of us or you'll be mentally How's unstable. That, right, that is, that is mental though because right, I'm imagining a doctor getting his prescription pad out in black, right, I'm prescribing you two coupons on a Saturday mm. and uh, a wee, like a punt on the horses during the week and like that. As if that's your prescription, and he's like, right, here's a, I don't know, here's a fucking link to William Hill, like, have, read this. Because my understanding of addiction, and I'm by no means an expert in any way, and we'll touch on this, the whole thing about the importance of saying to people, that you're not an expert, Aye. like either you or I or anybody else who isn't fully qualified. But my understanding of addiction is that in order to feel normal and satiated in the sense of, right, okay, I've had what I need in order to survive, is that you you have, people will need to do these things to get to that baseline of normal. Uh -huh. So you would need to put £100 on a day and then you'd be like, right, okay, that's, like, I'll survive. Almost as if your brain is telling you, I will die if, or we will die if we don't get this mm -hmm. even I don't know if maybe your brain this is me totally guessing now like pure pseudoscience but <laughs> like maybe your brain is like if we don't get this wee hit of excitement we'll die because we've become so accustomed to it it's even maybe why people are completely hooked on cocaine or booze or, or anything else because it's it's what it's not so much what it's physically giving you, but it's appeasing your brain and mm -hmm. your brain's getting what you need. So did your mum then say, like, what the fuck's going on? Like, why are you like this? Uh, when they started to notice that there was a problem? Well, at that time where she's walked in and obviously you're, you're no, shaking that, that was At that time then was when I was actually start, like, stopping. Mm -hmm. uh, that was when I was stopping and she realised, like, kind of how 
how much I struggled it was going to be to stop. Going back to when they actually started to realise was I was just miserable and I, I burst into tears one day and I always mean I was sitting in the kitchen, burst into tears and my mum and dad kind of come over and they said, right, what is going on with you? We know something's going on. Mm-hmm. And they knew it was gambling and I knew that they knew. But I just kind of said, nah, I, I'm just down. I just need to go to do it. I'm just feeling miserable. But I couldn't still quite admit what was going on yet. Uh, <coughs> And so that, that was the biggest problem. Like even back then, I still I couldn't even admit what was going on. And I think about all the harm that I did even after that, that could have been avoided if I had just said, listen, it's gambling. Mm-hmm. And they're understanding. Like my mum and dad are unbelievable parents and people and they would have helped me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just, I was too ashamed to admit what was going I, on. I can totally understand that. Because by, I mean, just by the brief bits that you've explained, they seem as if they're... Very supportive, um, but being able to take that step to say, here's what it is, it's a whole litany of feelings, shame, as you say, embarrassment, mm-hmm. guilt, sort of saying, you know, I've kind of fucked up, not wanting to put any pressure on them, but now's probably a good opportunity to talk about what actually unloading did whenever that came about, because there could be somebody listening who is maybe, maybe let's say you're at step 10, they're at step two, mm-hmm. And they're, they're struggling to kind of take that first step. But it's like, a pro- they say a problem shared is a problem halved. Right. And I've recently learned that that doesn't mean because you're giving the, other, the half to the other person. It means right. because you're no longer carrying the, the weight of that secrecy mm-hmm. about. I mean, how, how did you eventually get to the point where it was like, right, I need some sort of assistance and structure? Not just financially, but emotionally, because mm-hmm. carrying stuff about, it's the, way, it's the weight of the world, isn't it? I can't, I still feel it now. I can feel that pressure like in my chest. My chest tightens when I think of, mm-hmm. see, but, and I'm not saying that gambling addiction, I don't compare addictions at all, but the, the thing about a gambling one is that there isn't, as we said, there isn't any physical signs, so you're keeping a secret to yourself. Yeah. See, once you just let that go and you just tell people what's going on and you realise that people don't just give up on you, then a weight of the world just comes off your shoulders and you then feel that, there is like at least there's a chance of seeing a way out of it but while it's all building up and it's you've got a stress of like financial mm-hmm. pressures and trying to keep a secret in it's it's a horrible feeling you just need to speak to somebody about it right to speak to anybody directly and uh, uh, so if you're listening and there is something that you are holding in or there's something that you don't feel you can say for whatever reason and you might think that you can deal with you you might be able to on the surface but you're not really and I would like to give us even a light hearted example not light hearted I think I may have told this story before right but this is a perfect example of how something can build up and build up and build up so when I was 8 years old right there was a boy that stayed in, in my auntie's street and he had learning difficulties and we were we took a real care for him like it, it, we sort of felt a real duty of care to him <coughs> and we would all playing on it and there was this it was kind of like a wall next to his house right and he's how do I describe it his family had like a a cover over their house where the car would go mm. so below that there was a wee wall so I've hid down one side and he's walking around I've jumped out and gave him a fright as I, I I'm, like I still do that to this day to people mm. and basically I don't think I've ever seen MD like more terrified in my life right <laughs> And I've, 
I only told the story in summer. I told it at my auntie's for dinner. I was like, I need to admit something <laughs> that has bothered me for 21 years. Like, <laughs> I, like I feel like, and I felt like if I explained that to anybody, would they have thought I was gen? I wasn't, I was, of course, I wasn't trying to do it horrible to him. I was just being a wee guy. But he got such a fright and he was petrified and he was pure upset and all that. Right. And I had to try and console him. So the image of his face has been imprinted in my mind for two decades, right? <laughs> And then when I spoke about it, I just felt so much better. And I was like, wow, fucking hell. And somebody might be listening and being like, how fucking dare you try and equate some daft wee thing you did as an eight-year-old but the po- to, to some stressful thing you're going through. But the point I'm making is, if I realised, fucking hell, by the way, that was like a, <laughs> like a, some dark, heavy secret. And then all my, like, my auntie and my uncle and that were just like, all right, well, it's one of those things that happened. It's not really that big a deal. I'm sure he's forgot about it. I'm like, I, I hope so, because I haven't. I felt guilty for, for 20 years. So, I mean, the the the, um, the, re- the release that you must have felt. Bot- bottling up anything ain't good at all. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Even I'll give you an example. When I did that week, like last week on the streets, I'd, obviously all you've got is time to self-reflect. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind that. I like, like reflecting on things and trying to understand myself a yeah. bit better. I had a lot of guilt. That was the thing that post gambling killed me. The guilt was incredible. Mm-hmm. Went and seen some people about it. Uh, but there was still some apologies that I had to make. And when I did that, so it was only like two weeks ago, I apologised to somebody. And I, I, won't, I won't name them, but they were a part of my life, like kind of maybe about three years ago. Yeah. And I just said to them, I was like, ah, listen, um, for like the stuff I caused back in, blah, blah, blah. I know you probably won't care anymore, but I'm sorry about it. Blah, blah, blah. Big response. Woke up in the morning, had a reply from them. It was nice and that was that settled. And honestly, that wasn't, they weren't like a major, major part of my life. Mm-hmm. But see, even just that, I realised that that was one wee niggle that I just had never got rid of. See, now I feel, honestly, just from that one conversation, ten times better. Mm -hmm. I can't believe, like, it was that. I think that was holding me back still from just feeling completely, like, able to just get over it all that time. Mm -hmm. Um, That kind of just makes me think of the whole concept of, like, people make mistakes. Mm -hmm. People get it wrong. Everybody does, eh? Everybody, we, we get it wrong. Point to me, point out anybody to me that lived a totally flawless life, and I'd be like, they, they don't exist unless mm. you're talking about the representations of Jesus Christ <laughs> in the Bible. Yes. And even then, you're like, mm. I mean, you can't really verify it. Like that. Um, ah, me, I've probably upset some mega uh, Christians or Catholics now. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be an episode of Blood if we didn't piss somebody <laughs> off. Um, I, people get it wrong, but I think to me anyway I mean what do I know but taking responsibility got to own your mistakes aye and and, and, and that's it a personal responsibility that's um, that that certainly goes a long way what was how was that in terms of recovery and stuff how does that then go because maybe somebody's listening and they might be thinking well right what does that pathway look for, look like for me because it probably seems like a black hole at the time that you're just mm-hmm. never getting out of but there is steps you can take there is light you can get towards talk me through uh, that kind of process it's a long long process there's a lot of elements to it but I would say that first things first is that it needs to come from yourself like my mum and dad set me up so many doctor's appointments I didn't go for mm-hmm. uh, so many gamblers anonymous 
meetings and stuff I didn't go to. It needs to come from your from yourself. Mm-hmm. When you get to that point where you're willing to make all these actions on your own, you're in a good place to do it. And like I was looking at my situation and I was like twenty one and I thought, right, oh, some of this was true and some wasn't, but I was looking thinking, right, that person's done with me, like some of my pals they're done with me. They they don't want anything to do with me anymore wasn't true but that's what I thought at the time mm-hmm. people in my family they're done with me as well I've made too many mistakes I've got £30,000 of debt 20 years old it's a difficult situation but you can only just tackle it a bit at a time the mm-hmm. first thing I would say is that you need to just be honest with people so you don't need to go and tell the whole world that you've been struggling with a gambling problem but the people closest to you particularly if you owe a bit of money I just went to people and said listen I'm going to get your money to you but it's not going to be quick there's like people that I need to prioritise and whatever. So that's one side of the financial side. And people will be, people that love you and have been in your life a long time are 90% sure that they'll be understanding in mm-hmm. that sense. But then there's the um, like emotional side of it. And I went to doctors and as I told you earlier, I said, listen, like it's really like your brain is completely rewired towards yeah. this addiction. Mm-hmm. And that's going to take a while to get back to normal and reset almost that's what it was I, like I think that's really important that understanding for two sides see like saying your brain's been reset mm-hmm. because quite often if you're fortunate enough like I'm really fortunate I don't think I have any compulsions apart from daft stuff like I hate that I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is look at my phone ah, wee things like that and my brain has been rewired in that sense and I kind of beat myself up for it and it's obviously on a much smaller scale but I think it's important first for the addict to understand that your brain has been rewired and it it is going to take time because as somebody who doesn't have that affliction, I have been guilty in the past through ignorance of just going, well, just don't fucking gamble. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of like, it's slightly like saying, well, I know you've got cancer, but have you ever thought of just not having cancer? Mm. You're like, it's an illness. Aye, it's an right. illness and things have, steps have to be taken. And I think it's important as well, for understanding like let's say if you've got pals who who are maybe waiting to be repaid or something it can help both sides because obviously you need support and you need love and you need you know whatever else um pressure taken off you for people around you and it would help if because there might be somebody listening who has an addict in their family mm-hmm. or in their life and it could cause friction and tension but you'd probably be able to help them resolve things a hell of a lot quicker if you understand Aye. the actual science and not even just your perception or your opinion the science because you can't really argue with science can you you can argue with opinions no you can't really argue with fact no. I, it, it draws me back to all the times when i was younger and i didn't understand addiction and i used to think my big brother he would come in the house and cause chaos and the police would be at the door and all sorts of nice things. Why does he do that? It's so selfish. Why is he drinking and he knows it causes chaos when he does it? Obviously, I get older and I realised it. In those times, thankfully, he's all right now, but like back then, he didn't mean it. Yeah. And that was the same with me as well. In terms of like the recovery stuff, it just, you need to, I know it sounds a bit cheesy, but you really need to just believe that you can do it. Like mm-hmm. I used to say to my dad, I feel terrible at times. Like my dad's just so calm and that's the type of influence he has. He doesn't shout and bawl and he used to just, have conversations with me and say right you can do this that the next thing and I used to remember saying to him dad I'll need to move if I want to like go over this addiction I need to move away from here I've done too much damage which again was nonsense mm-hmm. nobody even knew what I did nobody knew anything about me uh, in terms of gambling but 
it was just an excuse to, to not stop. Um, once I actually like put the plans in place, going to a doctor, going to Gamblers Anonymous, regardless of how long I went for, once I actually started putting them plans in place, I could start to see a way out of my problems, but it was only when I believed that I could do it. Mm. I had completely given in to my addiction, that was the point I was trying to get to. I went around the houses a bit right, but I had like completely given in to my addiction in the sense that I just thought I would die from this. That's mm. what I thought. I just thought the time will come where I'll make a mistake that's irreversible and I'll just, I'll die young. Once you get like over that feeling and you actually believe that you can do it, then I, that's, that's mm. when things start changing for you. What was the lowest point that you ever got to? Because there, there must be a point where you look back and think, wow, that was the biggest depth. Um, there wasn't a single incident, but I remember just being, I was 21, I just, I wasn't playing football at all anymore. Uh, thousands of pounds a day, I'd lost relationships, uh, wasn't doing it with my life productive, I wasn't working, I wasn't going to college or uni or nothing. And I just, I, it was like a culmination of all them things, still waking up, gambling, I hated the look of myself, I hated clothes I wear, I didn't go out, I felt uncomfortable just in my own mind and body, it was just a, it's a hard hard thing to, um, to try summarise to anybody I look back at that time and I almost see it as like two different people, I look back and I see the person that I was then as someday like some weak, vulnerable scared wee guy and I almost feel bad for him, like mm -hmm. I know that sounds crazy but to where I'm now it was a horrible, horrible time There's um there's a in, in terms of being able to process it like do you feel that does there come like a sort of comfort in knowing that because you've walked that path you could prevent others from from doing so or like you almost a bit of a I don't want to say a martyr because that sounds so dramatic because the, the, the lines I'm thinking along right is there's a book called Man Search for Meaning by an author named Viktor Frankl and he was Austrian uh, and he was around during the time of the Holocaust and him and his family were taken to um, they were taken to concentration camps and everybody that he loved and that lived with they died, uh, right. sorry his family and everybody that he was related to they all died and he then went on to become, I think he was a psychologist or a psychiatrist in Vienna and um, he had a guy who would come to him because he couldn't get over the death of his wife and he was just no way he could go over it. And then he said to him, if the roles were reversed and you died uh, and your wife was left to pick up the pieces and live here without you, how do you think she would get on? And he said, oh, she would crumble. He's like, she would probably die, but she'd be miserable. She would be like a life wouldn't be worth living. It would be hell on earth for her. And then he says, well, what a beautiful thing is it that you have taken that burden so that she doesn't have to. He's like, she's at peace. Like she's wherever you believe she may be. Whereas you're the one who's taken that and there's no greater act of love than to be able to put yourself in that firing line. Mm. And I often equate that to things like this because I know it's like, fucking hell, people might go, oh, right, mate, I was sticking 50 quid on the horses. Like, I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't like put around in the Holocaust or anything. No, I know. But it's like, you've then taken that so you can then stand as an example. So that must give you a, a degree of, of comfort or even satisfaction to know that people can look at your blueprint for what went right, how it went wrong, what you did, and then you could prevent a lot of misery that you've gone through. Do you feel that? Or am I, I almost just... feel now as if it's like, <laughs> again, it sounds a bit dramatic, but I feel like I've finally found what I was like supposed to do in mm -hmm. my life. Like, I see young people now and 
I look at them and I honestly do feel it. I feel as if like I want to help them avoid pitfalls of my life. Um, I see them coming out of schools and that they're fit back up and that's all I can think of nowadays. I think there's within that group of a hundred there, there's one of them that can or will be able to hopefully learn from my story and avoid what I went through. Um, I hope I, with Gam Talk, as I always say, I hope it's a thankless task. I really do. I hope that in ten years' time, rather than people sending me cards and saying that I helped them get over an addiction, that's not the angle I'm going in. I'd rather there was hundreds or however many young people get to a point where they maybe have a wee scare with gambling. Then they think, I remember that boy that came in and spoke to us in the school, a football club, and I am not going to go down that path. That's what I mm-hmm. want it to be. There's, there's definitely a lot of like nobility in that. I find it really admirable um, because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of, I'll choose my words so painfully, carefully here. There's a lot of things that you see being set up and they're being done for reasons that you could almost describe as being nefarious and a bit sinister. Um, mm. At worst, at best, you would say very self-centred and conceited. People setting things up for a pat on the back mm-hmm. or to... I don't know, even to wallow in a bit of a pity party, no. listen to this bad thing, boo-hoo, this bad thing that happened to me, while offering absolutely nothing other mm. than the opportunity to perpetuate um, and, and permeate other people's existence in, in complete fucking negativity. Mm-hmm. So what I love is there's, there is a thankless task. I know there's loads of things that people will get in touch with and we'll kind of go into those, but there's loads of things that are done quietly. Obviously, you have to advertise things in social media. Otherwise, how will people know that it exists? Mm. But there is a fine line in there between yeah, definitely. between doing it for the right reasons and doing it in a way that people yeah. then just start to kind of see through a wee bit. Truly, honestly, I don't. And I did when I was younger, and I don't mean it, but nah, I don't care if I've got one follower, one like, whatever, on my Instagram account, like my normal one. Mm. I have no interest in that side of life anymore. Yeah. But in terms of... Like a gam talk stuff, it's simply a case of the bigger the audience, the more that one person might be able to see and learn mm-hmm. from my story. That's all it is. In terms of what you were talking about here, I can give you a quick example. When I did the week on the streets, there was yeah. a family in my area. Sure. T- tell me about that and then we'll actually talk about oh, that right. in detail, that thing, right? But tell me about the family first because right. I, I did mean to touch on that. So there was a family in my area who got in contact with me and they donated a bit. £1,200 worth of sleeping bags, brand new jackets, hats, scarves, gloves, all all the works to go and give out to these people that are on the streets. Mm -hmm. They wanted zero thanks. They asked me not to mention them anywhere and like, so I won't, I won't mention who it was, but what an incredible gesture. Take it on to last week and I was going about and just in a wee hang, I was just getting like sweets and wee bags to wins that kind of get out at Halloween. Mm -hmm. Somebody put a tenner in my GoFundMe to do that and then because I didn't thank them on the Facebook I got a paragraph of abuse absolute utter abuse how I didn't tag them and mention them it's a comparison of two different things that's just family. absolutely obscene it, isn't it? It I mean you. I'm very much of the opinion the moment that you you do something for somebody else and then you immediately want to advertise it or be mm. or be thanked um, I mean there's nothing if, if say if you gave something and uh, I don't know. No, I'm not even going to try and justify it. Often when I start uh, picking apart a point, I always do my very best 
to try and include. Well, here's what the opposition mm. might say. A biased argument. Mm. I try and I try my very best to balance it, but see some things you're like, nah, <laughs> nah, <laughs> like I'm not drawing a false equivalence here. I mean, the moment that you start up, like when somebody does something kind for somebody, but they have to video it. And I know that's the very stereotypical example, but videoing it something or advertising, look at this kind mm, thing I did. I In my opinion, for the most part, I'm sure there, there will be exceptions as there is to everything. The minute you start publicising it in that sense, is like you've just taken away any genuine good uh, intention. It it's okay. kind of like the um, the whole concept of you know the law of attraction. Let's say if somebody gives a pound with the greatest love and intent, it'll come back to them. If somebody gives a hundred grand, but it doesn't really mean much to them because they've got money to burn and they're just kind of doing it for the thing, then it, it just isn't the same. Uh, that's unfortunate. What an amazing gesture for those people, though. If they're listening, which they, they might be, then that's just absolutely Unbelievable. incredible. Unbelievable. I love stuff like that. Absolutely love stuff like that. Crazy. What was, so the, the, the homeless, or the sleeping rough thing, what was that? Sleeping on the streets, so it was called Gam Talk on the streets, and what I wanted to be was a project with a, a story behind it, so mm. I was trying to demonstrate to young people that, although I don't look like somebody that would maybe be on the streets, mm. and without the support of my friends, family, and without probably some things aligning perfectly for me, yeah. I would have ended up on the streets and mm. people would still to a stale disagree with that. But I was listening to these like addicts on the street story, not all of them are addicts, but a majority are and when I was listening to their stories, there wasn't all that much difference to me. What mm-hmm. they didn't have was my support system. And who's to say I even deserved that any more than they did? But I had it, so I was lucky enough to go over my problems and be mm-hmm. in a situation that I'm at, like I'm in now they didn't have it and it's it, so that was the story behind it whilst obviously raising the awareness of gam talk of problem gambling and raising money for mm-hmm. different addiction services and homeless charities so it was five nights on the streets up here um i was supposed to do edinburgh as well but the only reason i was doing a night in edinburgh was because i was meeting a former gambler himself i was going to interview him and stuff and then i was just going to spend a night up there but I get cancelled, so Glasgow's rough enough anyway. <laughs> I just spent it up here. I know, and what, what was that like, like, obviously? People keep asking me, and I, I really need to find a way to summarise it, but I can't. It was, it was eye-opening, to say the least. Yeah. It was quite scary, and then in terms of just the simple things, it was cold, I was exhausted, like, because you just can't sleep. If you're near central, it's too dodgy to sleep, but then if you go out with, so if you're, like, up near where I was going to my uni up like near Glasgow Cali you mm-hmm. don't you're not allowed to sleep where the police or the security will move you because you're in places where there's students going about and stuff so rightfully so but so it was just staying up all night and then it was trying to sleep for 20 minutes in McDonald's in the morning and then I'd get nudged and moved and I'd go to Taco Bell and do the same until I at least had 45 minutes in my system to function mm-hmm. for the rest of the day what I seen and the people I spoke to it was just some people the cards just haven't aligned for them like properly at all. Yeah. They're just some of their backgrounds and stuff. It's incredible. I, I put a story up one day and it was about uh, a guy that sleeps. He still sleeps under the bridge at Central. Um, goes far as to call my mate now. He's already <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> go and speak to him and uh, 
he the very first night when I told him what I was doing I gave him a sleeping bag that I had took up and he said listen if you're like friends, if you're worried about what you're doing you can sleep next to me I sleep here every night people know so I put a story up there and the most replies I got was from people saying oh patch up well, you need to be careful um like fair enough I can understand your point I'm not trying to act like a saint here but you don't actually know that guy right. he's just offered to do me a good turn so I think give people the benefit of the doubt first before you actually know mm. them um, right. I mean kind of going off on a bit of tangent but it, it, it's something that's often overlooked where you'll see people that are on the streets so you'll hear people saying things like why Why don't you just go and actually go and get a job or go and do something <laughs> you're like mate the guy is He's fucking just about keeping his head above water. Like Aye. his goal isn't to get a fucking twelve hours a week in boots or twenty hours a week in like Sainsbury's. It's to survive for the next Aye. twelve. And ask hours. yourself a question: The guy's not got a shirt and tie. How does he go in and out? How does he get a job? A, and that's a whole. I mean, that's a whole other, a whole other subject in Aye, it. big time. Um, but one, there's, there's a lot to talk about. Um, gam talk as well. So obviously things start getting better, you start getting a, a, a control of things, you're taking accountability, you're apologising, you're sort of rectifying mistakes, or you're, you're, you're putting things right. When is that when you then thought, right, I want to channel a positive energy and get Gam Talk set up? Like, how did that come about? I wanted to do Gam Talk from within the first month that I'd stopped gambling. And my dad helped me kind of set some things up and it was nothing like what it looks like now. Mm-hmm. But now when I look back and that's how I have like the greatest respect and I, me and my dad were him to people who would never say like, love you or at each other ever. But obviously I had to like and I love and I respect him and I realised now when I look back it was just making sure that I was focused on something positive. Yeah. But I went into Inverclyde Council, asked them could I date in schools and I got laughed at. My approach was completely wrong. Um, and at the time I was gutted, but now I look back and think it was the best thing that's ever happened to me. But the idea has been there for years. I just didn't ever feel confident enough to try it. I didn't ever feel like I was in a position where I was ready to try influence people. But now it's just a case of, I thought I, w- I would give it a go. Yeah. started that a couple of months ago and it's, it's been done. What was your original approach? I'm interested in this because often people, and the fact that you persevered and gone on proves that it is completely a a genuine passion project and it's not just an an opportunity or a a sort of cynical attempt for you to to get a pat on the back Mm -hmm. Um, because often people will be told no and then just go all right okay instead of realizing okay what I have to do then is actually adapt my approach I need to refine it I need to get some things so what was my wrong approach? Aye, because I want to go for the wrong approach and then how you rectified it because there could be somebody who wants to set up something for drugs or alcohol support or whatever but they're mm. just, they might think, well, that world isn't open to me but in fact, it's open to anybody. If some numbskull like me can start a podcast and start it, things go really well and <laughs> be sitting in my office, then anybody can, can set Aye. it up. No, I, I went in to Inverclyde Council and what I did, I was went in, I was somebody who was still very much dealing with scars of his past I, I was still going to like uh, counselling, I was still seeing a doctor and all that, I was only a month into recovery, I didn't actually know if that was only just a month off or if I would end up going back to it or not I went into Inverclyde Council and said listen I gambled a lot for the last three years so can I come in and warn young people about it I didn't give them the I didn't create the need for it. Basically, I didn't go in and show that it was a topic that a lot of people would like their young people to be educated on. Um, Like, 
the amount of menial wee tasks that you need to do just to get something like this off the ground, as you'll be well aware yeah. of what you're doing. But I, I went door to door in my town and I've got like 1,600. Now that takes a lot of doors that just laugh at you. 1,600 signatures on a bit of paper of people who would like me to go into their school and speak to their yeah. young people. Oh, and that, nice. took, that took about two and a half months Aye. of unpaid work, walking about in the rain and approaching people's doors. People, you know, it can be embarrassing and stuff as yeah. well, but I had to create the need for people to then want to, like, want to have me in and speaking to their young people sleeping on the streets. It raised a lot of awareness. Mm -hmm. Sleeping on the streets was rough. <laughs> but it's like doing things like that. It's, you you kind of just think because something's a great idea to you that everybody else should think it's a great idea. You know what I mean? You need mm -hmm. to build that up in people's minds. And if you truly believe in it, then nothing will stop you. Big time. Um, obviously, there are certain things that can get in the way, but if you truly believe in something and you're truly passionate about something, then you will go and make it happen. So did you then go back to them and say, actually, right, okay, I've, I've learned a wee bit of a lesson. I've actually left Inverkite Council. I want that to be like a moment to me where like, I, I, I've not approached them yet at all, and that's where I'm from. That's my local council. Yeah. Um, I will only go to them once I've like got all my ducks in order and I've did other schools as I told you off air I've got like my first school coming yeah. up next week um, so I want to go back to them and not for like ego or not to say oh I told you so but just so that I can see see almost the path of where I was like three years ago and now and do you know what I mean? I can a moment to me just to see how far I've came. I know you're saying it's no for ego or that, but see, because I'm sure they will at some point invite you in. See when they do invite you in, I dare you to like wear sunglasses. And <laughs> light, like when they start talking, go hold on a minute, and then just light up a cigar, and then go <laughs> right. What we said. Um, yeah. I know it's. Um, it's, it's probably and it's a good thing though isn't it because it's redirecting you so for them saying no it then Aye. immediately teaches you alright okay I have to do it in a, a I wasn't anywhere near ready for that at all man like <laughs> I had so much to still go through so many hard times to still get through recovery's so hard like I try to strike the balance between telling people it is achievable but also not lying to people my yeah, god right. it is difficult you, or something. when when people get in touch with you, you you've got a certain first line that you'll always say to them in order to, to set their expectations what is it that you say to them when so when somebody comes to me who is already an addict with gambling or who wants to go over it then and if you're going to message me after this the first thing I'll tell you is that I'm not a professional I'm not within a professional capacity to instruct you like how to get over an addiction. Yeah. I've been there and I've done it and I've got a like living experience, so I will only advise you and the advice is always to get medical help. It's a medical like Aye. it's an illness, you need to go and get help from your doctor for it. Mm -hmm. Um I can only share my experiences and hope that you maybe take something from it. But as we said as well, that's not the line I'm going in at. I think that's the most important thing uh, to, to sort of point back to what I was saying about people setting things up for their own, <clears throat> their own. Um, I don't know, to build a profile, to make money, to to have the, the sort of gratification of being told, wow, you're so great. The most important thing is to say, because it is great to share experience in it and it's... And, People can relate to it, people can take something from it, but it always has to be preceded by, like, I'm not a professional and go for professional help. How, which then leads me on to my next question, how much of, a, of an impact did that medical assistance or professional assistance have for you? Do you think you could have come near conquering it if you didn't have that? 
Well, I went and some I'm open about everything, but I do hate kind of admitting the point that I was put on like antidepressants for a while. Uh, I hate taking regular medication. I just feel like I've got an addictive personality. I'm always worried I end up hooked on stuff. But anyway, so I went, I did that, and see if I hadn't been put on them, my balance of mood and I, it wouldn't have evened out. I just had to get that on an even keel to then allow me like to have a clear kind of way of thinking and seeing out of my problems. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I was so high and low every day from yeah. the gambling, from the dopamine rush. I had to just have that evened out. So no, I wouldn't ever go over it if mm-hmm. I didn't go and speak to a doctor. Never. For whatever it is, anybody listening, there's something you're dealing with. The first step, I would, I would go and speak to your GP who can then direct you. I always think that seems... See, when I hear somebody say that, I kind of switch off. It becomes white noise. I'm like, oh, fucking GP. I've not seen my GP for about four and a half years. Yeah. And I had an ear infection, so I had to go and get... That's the only reason I was there. But that's why they're there. It's your, they're mm. your first point of contact. And I know they can be unhelpful at times. Badger of them, I suppose, personal responsibility comes into because right. they might just go, ah, well, hmm. like if somebody says if they feel they're suffering with depression, I've heard that they'll often just give you a leaflet and say, oh, have you tried the meditating? Like, fuck off, man. Aye. So, personal responsibility in that sense, they, they work for you, they're, they're paid for Aye. by your tax money. Politely insist that you say, no. I'm no, I agree, I agree with you, definitely. There can be, I'd, I've got a different doctor now, but my first one, he was, he was a nice guy, but he was dead awkward. It was hard to kind of go in and speak to him. I dreaded it. Yeah. But I think you also need to, like, people are easy to make excuses. You also need to take a degree of responsibility on yourself in the yeah. sense that you need to be honest. Mm-hmm. You kind of go in and then sit in that chair and say, oh, well, actually, I'm all right. I'm sad some days and uh, I gamble a wee bit. So, I mean, that's what I did and that's where I look back and I have no... I'm not proud of myself for it because I wasted time. I could have, I should have just, when I got to a point where I really seriously wanted to help, and I wasn't just trying to make a show to my mum and dad actually, yeah. and then said, no, like, I'm gambling relentlessly every yeah. minute that I'm awake. I'm miserable, can't I get any worse and stuff. You need to be honest with your doctor, mm. and then they can try to help you. You're only human, I suppose, mm. and you were, you were doing your best, but you've obviously done remarkably well. What are the, what are the things ahead for you? Um, with Gam Talk, where would you like to take it? You were mentioning about potential with football clubs as well. Mm. How- My aim is within like five years to be already have been in and going into as many schools, as many football clubs, as many sports clubs, youth groups as I possibly can. Prevention in my mind is better than cure. If you can go and speak to as many young people as you possibly can, then what you then have in 10 years is a generation who grow up and understand the dangers of problem gambling, who can then pass it on to their own children when they start having them, to their young brothers and sisters and stuff. Mm. I don't think I'll do gam talk forever. I think I'll do it until it gets to a point where I'll realise I'm not relatable anymore. Like, time catches up with everybody. <laughs> uh, when I'm not relatable anymore and they can't look to me and um, take something from my story, then... I'll move on, but when that time comes, I want to make sure that I've been in front of as many young people as I possibly can and they can learn from my story. Mm. I mean, if anybody's listening and if you think you want to, something that you would like to, I don't know, to implement within your group or team or school or class or whatever, then you can get in touch. Um, you'll find relevant social media links in the episode notes. Do you want to also... My website's just being created just now, so I'll be ready for next week. I could 
Okay. Well, I, it's like you can you can rhyme those off in your social media and stuff where people can get in touch with you. So it's uh, the bulk of my like working content that I put on is on Instagram and that's just Gam Talk One, uh, and then it's on Facebook as Gam Talk Paul. Nice, uh, and the links for that are in the are in the episode notes. Um, suicide, what a cheery what a cheery topic to kind of take it on to. Obviously, a terrible horrendous thing mm-hmm. and I think often we'll hear a story of God this person's taking a life honestly you would never know you would never ever know it just shows you you never know what everybody's gone through because he's totally happy and I always think bullshit mm-hmm. there's no way everybody or all these people all have a chemical imbalance in their brain to the point it pushes them to take their life yet they show no physical manifestations mm-hmm. of what you would call physical stress or, or, or depression or whatever I always think there's something, I don't know what, but there was something at play that that person wasn't able to talk about. And very often, obviously not all the time, but very often I think gambling is a major part in that. Mm. And what's your opinion on that? I I feel you you would echo kind of my sentiments there. Definitely. I think there's like, if you walk down the street right now and you can, and there's 10 addicts, let's say, on the street, for drugs and alcohol each you, you know you can look at them and identify them as yeah. like addicts in that sense but then the other two could walk right by you and you think nothing's going on with them and they're gambling addicts mm. there's no as I said there's no physical signs to it so it just people can be living with it for however many years and they could be in so much debt and it could be mounting every day and yeah. nobody knows about it it's like a, just like an avalanche just constantly coming down on you isn't it? because yeah. debt only continues to accumulate it's mm. not as if it goes unless you're paying it, it's going it's going up and up and up. Mm. And eventually that gets to the point where people think they'll look at it and they're right and and hold, bear with me while I say this, that is insurmountable. You're never you're never getting rid of it. You're never dealing with it while your mindset is the same way that it is. And if people aren't speaking or they're not, you know, seeking help, then they're probably right in their assessment of you're never, ever, ever getting rid of that. And it then becomes this thing where you go, it's so insurmountable. The only way out of this is if I take my life. No. And it's such a shame. It's so sad that something which is essentially a recently modern construct, such as money and debt, uh, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. humanity's existence, it's not as no. if it's always existed. Like 800 years ago, if you went to somebody and be like, yo, yeah, yo, MasterCard, eight grand, they'd be like, fuck you, talk about me, get out of my hut. <laughs> like, leave me, I mean, like, get away, get out of the road with my horse and cart, mate. Like, what, is, what are you on about? But now, obviously, it's such a real thing and it's it has such an impact on people. And I just, the thing, the message, if I could ever get it across, it's that everything is fixable, yeah, no matter what it is, everything is fixable. Particularly and, money, do you know what I mean? Like that. I have a kind of have view on money that a lot of people don't share. I understand definitely money's important. I'm not saying we can all live poor, but like I'm just clearing debt by about March of next year, going on a plan that I'm on, I'll finally be debt free. See, other than that, I'll never borrow a penny again, but see right. whether I live, see whether I've got thousands and thousands in the bank or not. If I can pay bills and that, I don't, I don't care about that. There's so many people that are unhappy right now because they're not a millionaire. Yeah. I just don't understand that way I think at all I, I can't see through it I can comprehend it in a sense I've found in the past that when I have been unfulfilled like so for example doing jobs that are, t- are like 
I was about to say, are good jobs? Are they? They paid well, mm-hmm. but it's a pure made-up role. Yeah, I like I it's pure. Know. Like some of them were pure pointless, and it was good money. And, and at that point, I, when I was completely unfulfilled and spending Monday to Friday, nine to five or whatever hours I was working, and what at times felt like abject misery, and the abject misery only alleviated when I got closer to Friday. <laughs> and what I was doing was thinking, well. God, I need to make more money then because so I can do more stuff in my free time and buy more things. And it's just this constant merry-go-round of more misery in terms of more material things. And then, because of course, anybody that's saying buying things doesn't make you happy or go, like spending money doesn't make you happy, bullshit, it does. It does. But it's fleeting and mm. it lasts for a very... It's, like, it's almost like the gambling, like uh, like pressing the button on roulette. As you're saying, unfulfilled, you need to have a purpose, I think. That's uh, it. If you're, if you're working Monday to Friday in a job you don't like and you're... To abs- make somebody else a lot, a lot of money. Uh, then you've got, you're not serving any purpose really uh, at all. And um, I mean, I'm not trying to dictate to anybody any life lessons or this is how you should view the world. I'm only saying I can only share my own experience and that was that when I wasn't fulfilled and I felt I didn't have much purpose other than getting in and doing a fucking daft job for some stupid company, um, then I would be trying to fill that lack of fulfillment through other things. Um, and I found that I, being more fulfilled, and again, I can understand why somebody may get irritated by that it's like as if it's that easy as right. if you just go alright oh, sorry didn't fucking think of that mate I was just go on Google how do I fulfil myself <laughs> I know it's not that easy <laughs> but it's just I'm, I'm just going to stop talking nah, yeah, <laughs> um, but I to go to take it back to the whole thing about the links to suicide I definitely think there's a hell of a lot that sadly we'll never know because it's 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 a silent sort of killer so I don't like I think there's a lot nowadays in society where and don't get me wrong you need to talk about how you feel but I almost feel as if there's I need to be careful what I say here but people towards suicide talk about it as such an open and easy kind of subject like they tried they they wanted to kill themselves and I see a lot of that all the time now and I think you really need to be careful what you're saying Mm. when you're talking about a subject like with myself there was despite the levels of constant misery I was at, there was like one significant period of time where I like tried to take my own life. Um, and there was actually, it's a crazy kind of story. I'd packed like things into my bag that I don't know why I just wanted them to be around me when I did it. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to like kill myself in my, own, in my mom and dad's house because I thought they wouldn't be able to live in it. Mm. So I took all my stuff, put it in a bag and I wanted to go to a hotel in Greenock. So I went to a first hotel and they wouldn't let me in because I was paying cash. Then I went to the hotel across the street, a holiday inn, and the guy let, never let me in. And that's a true story, honestly. He like was filling in my details and I always remember, he was asking me why, what, what was the purpose of my visit? And he caught me off guard. I said, I'm ah, just, um, just, just spending a night here, blah, 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 I'm from the port. So like that's, that's a weird thing to be doing, right? So anyway... He never let me in the hotel that night. I could see when he was filling out the registration forms, he was looking up at me and looking up, and I couldn't make eye contact with him. And he's like, ah, we've not got any just single rooms. And the holiday in, there's prop- that I'd, you'd have been lucky if there was two people staying in the entire hotel. Aye, aye. That guy never let me in that night. And I went down like a year and a half ago to see if he still worked there, just to have a conversation with him and ask him if he remembered that and what it was about. It doesn't work anymore. I'm gutted. I'd love to see what it was about. But... I genuinely, genuinely believe that he just felt something wasn't right. Just sensed it. So that 
not happening there. I'd, I'd have been in a room alone all night and I'd have, uh, I don't know, I'd, I'd done it probably, like, but I got up, I then just went home and I took like loads of kind of different tablets, loads of them, and then, but because I was in house, my dad and my brother come home and found me, got me a hospital in time, and then I woke up and I had like all these wires and tubes and that about me and it was that moment when I woke up and I, I just remember the first thing and thought no nah, that's not what I want like I'm so glad to be here I didn't think oh that didn't work or like I, need, I just went no nah, that's not what I want like I'd, I'd rather get over this mm. you know what I mean it strikes me as you would give anything for for the stress and the sort of cloud of it to be over but you didn't want, it's like no wanting to die, but no wanting to live, if that makes sense. I, my, my thing was that I'd never really given everything I've got to getting over it. Like, end of the day, I'd say I've not got any, like, I've said to you about football now, I don't think I'm somebody that's, like, naturally talented or naturally pure intelligent. I'm a hard worker, and, like, in that mm. sense, I know it's pure different, but I didn't really, really give my all into getting over gambling yet. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it was. But don't get me wrong, like, in terms of, if I had to live the rest of my life as a gambling addict the way I was when I was like 19, 20, if I had to live a full life like that or not be here, honestly, I wouldn't be here. I couldn't mm. live like that without misery for a full. It's just abject misery again, isn't it? Mm. Obviously, with your, your sort of football background as well, you'll have a... Like footballers have got a lot of spare time mm. and often have got quite a lot of disposable cash not as much as I think people think I think people assume mm. that championship footballers are you know well you've got the whole wash bag profile and all that Aye. people might look at them and think they're absolutely minted not always the case no. um, what, what do you think about gambling and football in general I sometimes get the impression that it's as I say through the having the spare time I sometimes wonder if it's people you know, players might see people very close to them in close proximity who do have a lot of money and then try and use it as a way to elevate themselves as well. A whole litany of, of reasons. But what's your sort of take on it? People ask me why do I want to go into, why do I always say I want to go into football clubs? In my opinion, and again, it's only my opinion, but I believe that there is characteristics that make you more susceptible to having a gambling problem. Mm. And being a young aspiring or being a footballer, you take so many of them boxes, you're within that... 18 to 30 bracket you're a male and I'm not being like sexist or nothing but I mean in the UK you're 7.5 times more likely to develop a gambling problem if you're a male than female mm. um, that competitive kind of drive like that starts you with that thinking that you can beat a boogie and you can beat a roulette wheel and that. I mean yeah. we're all daft in that way just pure competitive if me and you bend down to tie the laces I would try to do it faster than you did like, it's just ingrained in me and they're always same and see any of these and there has been footballers and again I would never never mention anybody's name that speaks to me but there's footballers playing at like a right good level in this country that have like spoken to me and there's two things that strike me right away one is all our stories align like if you took away our names our stories are just the same Yeah, personality traits are the same the other thing is that in terms of guys who are in football and it is if you speak to any footballers they'll tell you how big a problem it is within a game as you rightfully pointed out they've got so much like free time they're done training at like one o'clock they're home for two and they've got the rest of the day where as you said most of them disposable income Um, but I think like what was I going to say about um, I feel bad for them in the sense that they feel that they're trapped because they can't then go and speak to like 
they can't go to a gambler's anonymous meeting in case somebody sees them and mm-hmm. says, oh, yeah, such and such from at football club. I genuinely yeah. never that genuinely never crossed my mind before. There is an element of being trapped, isn't there? They are trapped because, as I said, I speak to a, I speak to a guy right now who plays in like the top league of, in Scotland, and he's like, ah, right, I can't go to Gambler's Anonymous because somebody will spot me. Um, I'm scared to phone Gamcare and then give my name, and then that guy gets him and his WhatsApp and says, oh, I was speaking to Hingy today. He's like, ah, this cannot get out. It will get any papers, and then. And I was like, ah, it's a terrible situation to be in. And if anybody happens to be listening, then I think like you you need to put yourself first. You can't just live with a problem until you retire. And then by that time, you've done so much damage. Like, just go to your doctor, speak directly to them. Yeah, I think as well, obviously, the conversation around mental health issues and things that cause them, whether it's whatever stresses or gambling addictions or these things, I think you'd be surprised by the amount of goodwill that you would receive because everybody now is completely united and unanimous in agreement that things need to change and Mm -hmm. the whole embarrassment aspect I think it's a good thing overall because sometimes people overshare I think um, occasionally people will overshare because they enjoy the the attention aspect 100% agree different conversation for another day but overall you could say anything and I think you would get overwhelming support you could Mm -hmm. say it might even you might feel as if it's daft or it's silly or it's embarrassing people will back you people will support you because I think every, everybody is now I don't want to say had enough of suicide and yeah, stuff right. but people are, are realising like nah we either yeah. we, go, we, we ridicule and we take the piss and, and we use it as a stick to beat people with or we take the other way the more yeah. enlightened approach it's like a war and I think everybody's on one side now and against it um, yeah. there's even people that have fought Journey like back in the years that I thought I've not liked. I thought oh, I don't like him now. He's, he's a prick. And then I've seen that he's maybe wrote something that he struggled or something like that. And I actually think, do you know what? I misunderstood him. I didn't really know what was going on with him. We're all good. We're all kind of dealing with something at times. Um, football. I mean, I, I, I've brought this up before. I think it's, it's something maybe the PFA should properly get involved with. I'm sure you'll get a lot of people who talk a good game and who want to be seen to be connected or look here as an idea and they don't actually follow through. You'll meet so many people like that. I've met so many of them. Um, boring. But hopefully I would hope the PFA or maybe football clubs would would, would do it. I suppose they have a duty of care, especially the bigger clubs. I mean, you look at John Hartson's a very high-profile example. Mm-hmm. Like, had his wife now in control of his finances, something he speaks about very openly. Very brave of him as well, because I think he was talking about it sort of in a period which preceded the whole outpouring of, you know, in terms of the way everybody's all talking about it. But I suppose football clubs have got that duty of care because, you know, you're asking a lot from, from players. They are being paid a lot of money and you would call them like a sort of nouveau riche, like new rich people, people who've mm. not been born into money and then all of a sudden uh, you've just got all this money and you think, well, I may as well spend it because you know, there'll be people who'll be putting 50 grand. I think Wayne Rooney was another one, uh, putting like 100 grand on horses or games mm-hmm. or whatever and then it's like, well, well, what's the big deal because I get 300 grand a week anyway. But Paul Merson, I know he's been really open about it. And, Paul Merson, yeah, and it's like the, the thing that they all say is, you're spending and spending and spending and you develop the habits and you develop that sort of ritualistic behaviour but eventually you're not going to be playing anymore and then all of a sudden that money stops but the outgoings continue Ah, and there's got to be some level of preparation for that. Um, I think we've pretty much covered covered most places we'd like to go. Oh, 
the final thing, and I'm sorry that I'm just saying this at this point, I would have liked to have said this earlier, that we've obviously spoken about it from an entirely male-dominated perspective, but there are women who who go through it as well. I spoke to a woman who obviously will remain nameless, um, and she was saying that she did it through, like, bingo webs, Foxy Bingo. Definitely, yeah. I thought that, honestly thought that was just a silly wee, I don't know, a wee housewives game. <laughs> but, um, no, she described it also as psychological self-harm. Mm in the sense that she felt she was undeserving of um, of nice things, of a nice life, and that she then did it feeling that... She, it, 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 it's hard for me to get my head around, but mm. I kind of understand that she was um, punishing herself for whatever mm. reason, and she didn't know where to turn. And there were, it is an, it's sort of fixated on males in it. Have you had women get in touch? 100% there's been at least, like... As I said, it's a male predominant problem. Yeah. But I've had like seven or eight women come and say to me that they've had a problem as well, and it's nothing to be ashamed of at mm-hmm. all. Like, uh, just wanted to say that to any women listening who, if you feel that the conversation has been not resonating with you as much, we see you, hear you, and this, this all support and care is also available for you as well. So. Just wanted to highlight that. I thought that Definitely, was quite an yeah, important like. thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been this has been great, mate. Thanks very much for coming in. No, it was a pleasure. And sitting talking. Uh, as I say, the in the episode notes you'll find the relevant links. It'll obviously be shared on social media as well. Have a wee look. The videos are good. I like I like the video. We're getting it running, getting up <laughs> in early, running and all that. I like stuff like that. Cheers, um, mate. Pushing yourself, setting targets. Um, is there anything any final point you want to get across before I make mine? No, just if anybody's struggling at all, then get yourself the help that you need. And if you can do anything to support my cause, it would just be to uh, get behind it and hopefully teach people that are young, your wee brothers or sisters mm-hmm. or sons or that. Do you know what I mean? If I can get in front of them, I'm sure I can make a difference. Uh, to be aware. I mean, I just kind of want to round up by first of all congratulating you and everything that you've achieved because I'm, I'm in real genuine admiration for it, especially with the amount of, totally not go negative, the amount of charlatans that I have seen to then compare you to them. It's just, it's night and day from what I've, has come to light for me and what I've learned. So I think that's great. Um, obviously showing an immense amount of fortitude and self-awareness and you know you've you've just been so honest and true to yourself and it's it's great it's so so brilliant to see such a positive thing and i suppose i will end it on the line that i've i've said before when i was talking about gambling the comeback is always bigger than the setback Leathered was written, recorded and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine and for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series including Talk Media, You Could Start a Fight in an Empty House, Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug, and old school, all on the big light, Scotland's podcast network. From the big light studio.